All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner this week as we continue to look at Luther's explanation of the sacrament of the altar in the large catechism. This week we pick up with paragraphs 33 through 63, reminding us of what exactly the sacrament means to us, and especially coming up with the question, how can I come if I feel that I am not prepared? How do we get prepared? Let's find out as we read through these paragraphs. All right, we are in Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the Reader's Edition, page 435, starting in paragraph 33. So we have covered the entire sacrament, both what it is in itself and what it brings and profits. Now we must also see who is the person that receives this power and benefit. That is answered briefly, as we have said above about baptism and often elsewhere. Whoever believes the words that has what they declare and bring, for they are not spoken or proclaimed to stone and wood, but to those who hear them, to whom he says, take, eat, and so on. Because he offers and promises forgiveness of sin, it cannot be received except by faith. This faith he himself demands in the word when he says, given and shed for you. As he said, for this reason I give it, and ask you to eat and drink it, that you may claim it as yours and enjoy it. Whoever now accepts these words and believes that what they declare is true has forgiveness. But whoever does not believe it has nothing, since he allows it to be offered to him in vain and refuses to enjoy such a saving good. The treasure indeed is opened and placed at everyone's door, yes, upon his table. But it is necessary that you also claim it and confidently view it as the words tell you. This is the entire Christian preparation for receiving the sacrament worthily. Since this treasure is entirely presented in the words, it cannot be received and made ours in any other way than with the heart. Such a gift and eternal treasure cannot be seized with the fist. Fasting, prayer, and other such things may indeed be outward preparations and discipline for children, so that the body may keep and bring itself modestly and reverently to receive Christ's body and blood. Yet the body cannot seize it and make its own what is given in and with the sacrament. This is done by the faith in the heart, which discerns the treasure and desires it. This may be enough for what is necessary as a general instruction about the sacrament. What may be said about it further belongs to another time. How is it that you are prepared for the Lord's Supper? You believe in the words, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Believing those words makes you ready for communion. It makes you ready to receive the gifts of his body and blood, life, salvation, and the forgiveness of your sins. And yes, you can do other things. You can fast, you can pray, many other things that you can do. It's fine outward training, especially for children. The Roman Catholic Church still, and a lot of the older right uh, priest have the idea that you must fast before you take the Mass. That That is the first thing you eat during that day. And many times you have issues, well, no, I've got this, I've got that, I've got the other. Yes, there are always exceptions. And they will always make exceptions because they have a hard and fast rule. Fasting is a great discipline, not only during Lent, but at any time. Prayer. Our hymnal has prayers on the inside cover for before coming in for worship, for 
sitting and waiting before the worship starts, before and after receiving communion. Many, many prayers that are very good, very well done to keep us in mind of what we are here for when we come to church, what it is that we are receiving in the sacrament. And all of it grounded in faith in Jesus's words. We pick up in paragraph 39. In conclusion, since we now have the true understanding and doctrine of the sacrament, there is also need for some admonition and encouragement. Then people may not let such a great treasure, daily administered and distributed among Christians, pass by unnoticed. So those who want to be Christians may prepare to receive this praiseworthy sacrament often. For we see that people seem weary and lazy about receiving the sacrament. A great multitude hears the gospel. Yet because the nonsense of the Pope has been abolished and we are freed from his laws and coercion, they go one, two, three years or even longer without the sacrament. They act as though they were such strong Christians that they have no need of it. Some allow themselves to be hindered and held up by the excuse that we have taught that no one should approach the sacrament except those who feel hunger and thirst, which drive them to it. Some pretend that it is a matter of liberty and not necessary. They pretend that it is enough to believe without it. For the most part, they go so far astray that they become quite brutish and finally despise both the sacrament and God's word. All right, here we have something that has come up in the course of the Easter readings from the book of Acts, especially as we've looked at Acts 2 this year in the three-year lectionary, especially as we look at verses 42 through 47. This was the first reading for the fourth Sunday of Easter, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we have this devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching shortly after Pentecost that has this great moment of clarity that even Luther says himself in his day that it was daily administered and distributed among Christians. Mass was still done daily in Wittenberg. Mass is still done daily among churches, but especially among Lutherans, it began the pietistic movement to make it less and less, so that it came down to taking one of Luther's statements that if someone does not take communion at least four times a year, they cannot be considered a true Christian. Then people decided, no, we're only going to offer it four times a year. And it's been generation after generation having to fight with the previous generations to get back to a more scriptural understanding of more often communion. Whereas now many Missouri Senate churches at least have twice a month communion. Many of them are going towards every Sunday communion if they're not there yet. But it is those things that continue to need to be taught that this is a great treasure that we are to seek, that we are to strive for. They are hunger and thirst for, and not go one, two, three, or even more years without it. But again, we have this idea, especially from the pietists that moved on into the Baptists and the evangelical world, that faith alone is all you need. That as long as you believe in God, that's all that matters. And well, God 
wants you to believe in him, yes. But God also wants you to accept the gifts that he has for you. But he is not going to force you, as we see in paragraph 42. Now, it is true, as we have said, that no one should by any means be forced or compelled to go to the sacrament, lest we institute a new murdering of souls. Nevertheless, it must be known that people who deprive themselves of and withdraw from the sacrament for such a long time are not to be considered Christians. For Christ has not instituted it to be treated as a show. Instead, he has commanded his Christians to eat it, drink it, and remember him by it. This is the point of having the words of institution recited every single communion service so that we remember that we are told to eat it, to drink it, and to remember him and his sacrifice. And no one should be required to go. No one is forced to go to communion. You go because you want to go. If you want to stay in the pew as the usher comes by to welcome you up, you can say, no, not this week. And that is fine. But as long as that doesn't become the normal, that it's not that, well, I just don't need it today. And well, that becomes months and then years. And then unfortunately for some people, decades, as they not only deprive themselves of the gift of the Lord's Supper, but also the gift of God's word, as he had said earlier. And yes, we are to not consider these people Christians because they are not taking upon themselves the participation in what it means to be a Christian, to receive the gifts of God, to be gathered around his word and sacraments so that we may rejoice in the gifts that he gives us. Not to see that they are only for occasional use. They're only for show. That's not what Jesus did when he instituted the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday. Luther goes on in paragraph 43. Indeed, those who are true Christians and value the sacrament precious and holy will drive and move themselves to go to it. They will. We will present something on this point so that the simple-minded and the weak who also would like to be Christians may be more stirred up to consider the cause and need that ought to move them. In other matters applying to faith, love, and patience, it is not enough to teach and instruct alone. There is also need for daily encouragement, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. So here also there is need for us to continue to preach so that people may not become weary and disgusted. For we know and feel how the devil always opposes this in every Christian exercise. He drives and deters people from them as much as he can. So what do we have here? Paragraph 45. We have in the first place the clear text in Christ's very words, Do this in remembrance of me, Luke twenty-two nineteen. These are inviting and commanding words by which all who would be Christians are told to partake of the sacrament. Therefore, whoever wants to be Christ's disciple, with whom he here speaks, must also consider and keep the sacrament. They should not act from compulsion, being forced by others, but in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ to please him. However, you may say, but the words are added as often as you drink it. There he compels no one, but leaves it to our free choice. I answer, that is true. Yet it is not written so that we should never do so. Yes, he, since he speaks the words as often as you drink it, it is still implied that you should do it often. This is added because he wants to have the sacrament free. He does not limit it to special times like the Jewish Passover, which they were obliged to eat only once a year. They could only have it on the 14th day of the first full moon in the evening, Exodus 12, verses 6 and 18. They still must not change a day. It is as if he would say by these words, I institute a Passover or supper for you, 
You shall enjoy it only once, not only once a year, just upon this evening, but often when and where you will, according to everyone's opportunity and necessity, bound to no place or appointed time. But the Pope later perverted this and again made the sacrament into a Jewish feast. Oh, it says, do this in remembrance of me. But it starts off with, as often as you drink this. Well, yes, as often as you drink it. That does not say you never do it. It says to do it. But it's not set to a specific time. It's not set to a specific place. It's not like we can only have communion on this one night and only in Jerusalem. No, no. We can have it when and where we desire it. We can have it weekly. We can have it daily if we want. Because we know that we need it. But it is only that knowledge, that acceptance, that believing of that need that leads us to truly treasure the sacrament and want it more and more often. Otherwise, we might as well just make it like the Passover and only have it, not just four times a year like the Pietists did, but let's just move it back to just Christmas and Easter. Then we can just have it just twice a year. And But yeah, that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus doesn't say, do this only on this day or only at these times. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He leaves it free for congregations to decide. So also he doesn't say, okay, no, you can only, only true Christians worship at nine o'clock in the morning on Sunday. What about those who have larger congregations where they have a 7.30 and a 10 o'clock service? Or they have a 10 o'clock service because they have Sunday school and Bible class at nine. Are they not Christians? What about those who, for reasons of being in multiple point parishes, where you are sometimes even late into Sunday evening, or you have Saturday night service for one of them, or you have Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday night service, are those who are at those services not Christians? Absolutely they are. Because it does not matter. Jesus did not put a law down. He brings out a gift. He gives you the gospel in visible form so that you may keep it. So it may be free for us to do. He continue, Luther continues on in paragraph 49. So you see, it is not left free in the sense that we may despise it. I call that despising the sacrament if one allows a long time to elapse, with nothing to hinder him, yet never feels a desire for it. If you want such freedom, you may just as well have the freedom to not be a Christian and not have to believe or pray. One is just as much commanded by Christ as the other. But if you want to be a Christian, you must from time to time fulfill and obey this commandment. For this commandment ought always to move you to examine yourself. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight and 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And to think, see what sort of Christian I am. If I were one, I would certainly have some small longing for what my Lord has commanded me to do. Since we act like strangers toward the sacrament, it is easy to see what sort of Christians we were under the papacy. We went to the sacrament from mere compulsion and fear of human commandments, not with natural longing and without love. Never thought about Christ's commandment. But we neither force nor compel anyone, nor does anyone have to do it to serve or please us. This should lead and constrain you by itself, that the Lord desires it and that it is pleasing to him. You must not let people force you to faith or any good work. 
We are doing no more than talking about and encouraging you about what you ought to do, not for our sake, but for your own sake. The Lord invites and allures you. If you despise it, you must answer for that yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Now this is to be the first point, especially for those who are cold and indifferent. Then they may reflect upon it and rouse themselves. For this is certainly true, as I have found in my own experience, as, as everyone will find in his own case. If a person withdraws like this from the sacrament, he will daily become more and more callous and cold, and will at last disregard the sacrament completely. To avoid this, we must examine our heart and conscience. Again, 1 Corinthians 11.28 and 2 Corinthians 13.5. And we must act like people who desire to be right with God. Psalm 78.37. The more this is done, the more the heart will be warmed and enkindled so that it may not become entirely cold. Again, this is like talking to the church in Laodicea in Revelation. Not hot, not cold, but they were lukewarm. They were apathetic to everything. They hadn't even gotten to cold yet. Maybe they weren't even going to get to be cold. They were just going to stay lukewarm and tepid. Jesus wants you on fire for him. Jesus wants you burning with the desires that he has for you, the love that he has for you, the hope that is everlasting life with him in heaven. Now we get to the question I started off with earlier. Paragraph 55. But if you say, how can I come if I feel that I am not prepared? Answer, that is also my cause for hesitation, especially because of the old way under the Pope. At that time, we tortured ourselves to be so perfectly pure that God could not find the least blemish in us. For this reason, we became so timid that we were all instantly thrown into fear and said to ourselves, Alas, we are unworthy. Then nature and reason began to add up our unworthiness in comparison with the great and precious good. Then our good looks like a dark lantern in contrast to the bright sun or like filth in comparison with precious stones. Because nature and reason see this, they refuse to approach and wait until they are prepared. They wait so long that one week trails into another and half the year into the other. If you consider how good and pure you are and labor to have no hesitations, you would never approach. Here's the point. Asking the question shows that you are prepared. Shows that you see that there is something in you that longs for something more. That knows that you are incomplete and unworthy in and of yourself. It is not that God decided that you have to be perfectly pure before you can approach the altar. Jesus says, approach the altar because you are impure. I mean, think about it. When he institutes the Lord's Supper, who's there? Thomas, the doubter. Peter, the denier. Judas, the betrayer. The rest of the apostles who fled because of the guards and the soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. They still receive the Lord's Supper. Well, Judas, maybe, maybe not. There has been discussion on that for centuries. Personally, I think Judas was there. Because it also shows that even Judas had the opportunity for the forgiveness of sins. But he did not take it. He did not consider himself worthy to receive that forgiveness. As we see in the interaction between him and the Jewish priest after Jesus is condemned. But if you were to wait until you were good and pure and ready, 
you would never show up. You would never be at the altar. But no, we come to the altar specifically because we are unworthy, because we are not prepared to meet our Lord. But Jesus comes to us in his body and blood to prepare us. All that is necessary for us is to believe his words. Luther continues in paragraph 58. Therefore, we must make a distinction here between people. Those who are lewd and morally loose must be told to stay away, 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13. They are not prepared to receive forgiveness of sins, since they do not desire it and do not wish to be godly. But the others, who are not such callous and wicked people, and who desire to be godly, must not absent themselves. This is true even though otherwise they are feeble and full of infirmities. For St. Hilary also has said, If anyone has not committed sin for which he can rightly be put out of the congregation and be considered no Christian, he ought not to stay away from the sacrament, lest he should deprive himself of life. No one will live so well that he will not have many daily weaknesses in flesh and blood. Yes, the ones who are morally loose and lewd and publicly acknowledging their own sinfulness and rejoicing in it, should not be allowed to take the Lord's Supper. But those who want to be better, those who want to do better, as we talk about in private confession absolution, yes, they are the people who definitely need it because it is there they receive the strength to do as they desire to follow our Lord. We finish up this week with paragraph 61 to 63. Such people must learn that it is the highest art to know that our sacrament does not depend on our worthiness. We are not baptized because we are worthy and holy, nor do we go to confession because we are pure and without sin. On the contrary, we go because we are poor, miserable people. We go exactly because we are unworthy. This is true unless we are talking about someone who desires no grace and absolution, nor intends to change. But whoever would gladly receive grace and comfort should drive himself and allow no one to frighten him away. Say, I indeed would like to be worthy, but I come not upon my worthiness, but upon your word, because you have commanded it. I come as one who would gladly be your disciple, no matter what becomes of my worthiness. This is difficult. We always have this obstacle and hindrance to encounter. We look more upon ourselves than upon Christ's word and lips. For human nature desires to act in such a way that it can stand and rest firmly on itself. Otherwise, it refuses to approach. Let this be enough about the first point. Perfect place to end for this week. But again, I want to go back to paragraph 61. Our sacrament does not depend upon our worthiness. We are not baptized because we are worthy and holy, nor do we owe confession because we are pure and without sin. We are not baptized because we are good people. We are baptized to be clothed in Christ because we are not good people. We go to absolution to confess our sins, not because we have no sins. So therefore, we also come to the sacrament of the altar, not because we are such great people, such wonderful, powerful Christians, but because we are poor, miserable sinners. We come exactly because we are unworthy. And that is what causes the greatest problems in our minds, is that this is desired, this is given, this is designed for those of you 
and me who are unworthy of receiving the gift. Because if you were worthy of the gift, it would not be a gift. It would be your wages. It would be your pay for being a Christian. But no, this is the gift that strengthens you in your faith so that you may continue to battle against the devil, the world, and your sinful flesh in your daily life. Because you will have many, many moments of weakness and problems in this life. But Jesus brings you his body and blood with the bread and wine to give you forgiveness of those sins, to bring you the promise of everlasting life, to bring you the salvation of your souls. And that is the perfect place to end this week. I am Pastor Doug Minton, thanking you for being here in the confessional corner with me. I encourage you to continue to listen to this podcast, the confessional corners, the digging deeper into Revelation. If you're a wrestling fan, Pro Wrestling America on Wednesdays. If you're not a wrestling fan, listen to the rest of it. It is designed for your benefit, that you may be strengthened to wrestle with the theology around you. Amen.